Hello and welcome to One Foot in the Podcast. I'm Tom and this episode marks a very special occasion as I'm joined by someone who has graced our screens over the years in some of our favourite comedies. A long CV of shows including Owning Horse and Horses, voicing characters in Spitting Image, which included a number one hit, The Chicken Song, if I recall. The Kate Robbins Show, Benador, Mr Bean, As Time Goes By, The British Empire, Drop the Dead Donkey, My Family, Not Going Out, Mike Bassett, manager, one of my favourite films and TV series, The Legacy of Original Parent, Smith and Jones, and many, many more. Anyone associated with One Foot in the Grave and our other favourite sitcom is always a friend of the show, even if they don't know it yet. So time to stop with the teasing. Fans of One Foot in the Grave will also know my guest as playing Pippa Trench's brother, Jeffrey Croker, in the episode Hole in the Sky. That's why I've got the one and only Mike Fenton-Stevens on. Would you believe it? How are you? All right. I'm very good, good. I no, sort of semi-rehearsed that intro. <laughs> no, no, it's all right. Nobody would ever have a name as long as mine. That's why I'm the one and only. You are. The, it's, it's very catchy. Um, there's, no, there's, no, there's no hyphen, is there? It's just Mike. No hyphen, no, no, because it's not really my middle name. Actually, my, it's the right initials. My official name, my actor's name is Michael Fenton Stevens. Yeah. And the Fenton is my wife's name. Like a lot of actors, when I joined Equity, they said to me, you can't have your name. Uh, mm. And I went, thanks. Really, why? <laughs> uh, and they said, well, we've already got a Michael Stevens. So I said, well, what about Michael? And I tried to think of other things. One of the names that I wish I'd had, I really wanted to call myself something sort of that, that would stand out. And I really wish that I'd gone with, yes. um, and see if you think this might work as an actor's name, but I wanted to be Watlington P. Risborough. It's catchy. It's catchy. People, people well, it certainly sounds... It. Certainly sounds like an actor, doesn't it? Ah, Watlington P. Risborough. Yes. What it, what it is is a signpost on the M40. Uh, Was it? Okay. Yeah, for the, for the, the town of Watlington and Princes Risborough. But I, every time I drove past it, I thought, what a great actor's name. So I, is, should have, I should have had the courage, but instead all I did was take the Fenton from my wife, who never took my Stevens. She's not interested wow. in having my name. She's not, oh, so, okay. so she's still Mandy Fenton. And, uh, and I am Michael Fenton Stevens. But okay. my, the name I was brought up with was Michael Stevens. Michael Stevens. And very few people nowadays call me that. There are one or two people who knew me, who've known me long enough. So my brother, uh, a couple of people I know from school, and Angus Deaton, who always does it because I think he thinks it's funny. <laughs> I he think goes, ah, it's Mickey Stevens. It's that sort of Del Boy thing I've got, you know, having, if you know someone well enough, always giving them a nickname. Um, yeah. I, I'm going to try not to call you Alan because you played Alan in <laughs> Only Fools and Horses, The Unlucky Winner. So we'll talk a little bit more about that. That's lovely, Alan. Yeah, great to have you on. Before we, we One Foot in the Grave will be very much hot topic, but there's mm. a few things I want to ask you. You um, run a very successful podcast, uh, oh, My Time you. Capsule. My Time Capsule podcast is awesome. Some of the guests you've had, you've had on, sorry, uh, I mean, Stephen Fry, uh, Dave yeah. Deville. You, you've had I, I mean, Jason. Yeah, he's coming up very shortly in a couple of weeks' time. In fact, you know, I don't know when this is due to go out, but, um, you know, you, he may have been out already. If, depending on when this goes out. But yes, I spoke to David in, uh, amazingly, I, I got in touch with his agent, who used to be my agent, and a yeah. person called Meg Poole, who to a large extent is retired, mm. apart from still representing David, and, um, and said, do you think David would ever do my podcast? She said, I don't know, I'll ask. And then she came back a couple of days later, and he said, yeah, all right, why not? Wow. And I went, oh my God, I can't believe it. <laughs> 
I when when I was um, part of the Jolly Boys podcast, Only Fools and Horses podcast with a uh, yeah. few mates, I tried the same. I emailed Megpool, but unfortunately, Ooh. Sir David and I didn't expect anything different because he's a busy guy. But he couldn't, unfortunately. But I'm glad you had set up Harry. I know, the show. and I absolutely assumed that that would be the case with me. That he would say, "No, you know, you know what it's like, Mike. I, I don't want to." And we we do know each other. We have worked together on other things apart from Only Fools and Horses. Yeah. And we've always got on terribly well. And we have a connection through uh, Terry Pratchett as well. Oh, he did a lot of things for Terry Pratchett, and I did a lot of read a lot of uh, Terry Pratchett's books. Not oh, the um, not the Discworld ones, but most of the other ones. So right. anything else that Terry wrote, I I tended to do as an audiobook. Okay. And so, um, and then we both knew Terry quite well, actually. And uh, what a sweet, lovely man he was. Uh, and mm. so, whenever Terry had an event or a book launch or something, uh, he would invite the two of us, and we would, you know, inevitably end up in the corner, David and I, talking about comic timing, which is, <laughs> seems to right. be an obsession, you know. Ah, that moment there, yes, yes, that moment there, because if you'd left it any longer, and that's the sort of conversation we have all the time, which is exactly the conversation we have on my podcast when it comes out, or if it's looking for, I'm very much looking forward to it. Um, there's it's just a master, it's a masterclass. I have to tell you, it's a, I mean, it's it's a treat, and I'm so delighted to have got him to do it because, you know, with all sorts of people this year suddenly disappearing from our world, mm. sadly. You, you realise that actually it's best to get these things done while you can. Yeah. And to have David Jason explain how he times things, why he does things comically, is a real treat. And it's a great thing to have it on record, you know, because there will be generations of people to come who can look back at that. And, you know, David's style may not suit everything that you do in the world, but if you ever, as an actor, get to be in a farce mm. on the stage then David is the master. He is absolutely the master. There's no doubt about it. One of my heroes, I'd, I'd love to, I'd love to he meet him. But. He tells me exactly how he times, why, what the falling through the bar thing, what it's all about, mm. how he did it, all the things that he'd done through his career that led to that moment that made it so right. And he explains every one of them. And, and it's, it's, it's brilliant to listen to, I have to say. I'm, I'm delighted to have sat in the room and listen to it while he well, did it. That, what a what a moment for you for, for both of mm. you really to reflect. How how have you been there, Mike Fenton Stevens? Your your podcast. What's been the highlight so far? Running your podcast. Uh, there which, have been which, too many actually, too many to say exactly which one it was. I mean, the highlight was the reaction. I think probably when I first mooted the point, as it were. You know, I mean, I'd been talking about it. My son had been talking to me about it for quite a while and saying, "Why don't you do one?" And I think you know. It would have been a good idea if I'd listened to him a long time ago when yeah. there weren't quite so many people doing podcasts. Sure. But it took me a while to be, you know, to be drawn round to his, his, um, his very good idea. But it's because I didn't really have an idea of how to do it. I didn't really know what they were. Mm. And I didn't just want to talk about something. I think the, the best podcasts are ones that are centered around something. Yeah. So, for example, this is a program that is centered around, you know, Only Fools and Horses and One Foot in the Grave. So One Foot in the Grave ties this thing together. And it, it, you know, if you listen to it, that will always be a central part of it. Yeah. Uh, and there are others that are, you know, like Grief Cast that Carrie Ad Lloyd does is about somebody losing something. And you know that that's it can be very funny. It can be very moving. And all those. I like those. I like those podcasts. And I wanted something to 
to keep the thing the same so that you don't just sit and have a chat with someone. That's right. Yeah. I, you know, I know lots of I know lots of people. I know lots of famous people, and I've worked with them over the years. And I sort of, in a way, felt that I would be able to call on them to be part of it. But I wanted to give them a reason for being on. Right. So what we came up with was the idea of a bit like Desert Island Disc and a bit like One Room One Hundred One, which I think you know the reason they've had such a life is because they're good ideas. Yeah. And this is what would you put into a time capsule from your life? So you're allowed to put five things in. Four of them are things that you love, and that you would love to preserve and keep safe. Either things that that are now gone, so you'd like to have them back, you know, from your childhood or whatever. Yeah. Or people, people that have gone from your life, or you know, or ephemeral, yeah. anything yeah. ephemeral. Those sort of. It's things. just yes, you can put mem- memories in there, not just a physical object of you yeah, know, anything, favorite just, anything or a, like feel, a feeling even, or a, a smell, all those sort of things. You know, it can be it can be something very very fleeting. Yeah. to you to you is is sort of seminal and and important you know and well, and then also one thing that you that you when you look back and you go oh god i wish i hadn't done that <laughs> or, I, you know i wish that hadn't happened or, or that was so unfair that that happened you know that sort of thing you look back and you it makes you bristle you know but either way it makes you flush and those things so we then talk about one of those have you listed the, list the five things you would i haven't talked about. Okay. No, I haven't. I, people have asked me what sort of things I would put in. I mean, I, I have, I think I did a couple of radio interviews early on and somebody asked me that question. And I hadn't really, I haven't really thought about it you know, because I, I don't really intend to do this game with myself. You know what I mean? No, I know what you mean. Yeah, I, for, with One Foot in the Podcast, I have this little feature called um, a Meldry Moan, which is, comes at the end of the podcast. The guests mm-hmm. can moan about what they like. It's just tongue in cheek. I used <laughs> When I started the podcast, it was just me rambling by myself for a couple of series. Um, They're very good. Start to build a bit of traction. Guests, uh, listeners wanted to get involved, so I just hand mm. over to them now. So it, it may be that I ask you um, to give a, a Meldry moan. You can moan about anything you like. Oh, yeah. I've got All plenty right. of those. That's, I've got plenty. That's fine. You know, I live my life like, like Victor. <laughs> I have to say, I am Victor Meldry. We I all are. We, we, all we, are. we definitely are. I can't, get, I can't wait to get on to to one foot in more depth but i was going to ask you to date so what's been your most memorable experience in the acting world you've been in some some of the best oh i've done some extraordinary things i have to say i've been very lucky i've had a very varied career that's what's been pleasant about it mm. i mean i've gone from you know the royal shakespeare company to pantomime yeah. on the, in theater and on, on i've done very silly comedies you know yeah. absurd sort of farcical comedies to very dark, you know, realistic comedies, yeah. Night Night and things like that, you know, yeah. and 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 I've all, but I've also done very serious dramas. Mm. So I've I've sort of covered the whole thing really. It's been um, I've been very lucky, and also you know when I was younger, we I was in a group and we sort of pretended to be pop stars, and and the strange thing about something like that is that if you do pretend to be a pop star, eventually people start treating you like a pop star. <laughs> So we yeah, were invited yeah. to parties with people who were the genuine pop stars. We would go to these things and there would be Sting and, mm-hmm. and you know, Freddie Mercury. And, and it was just absurd. Sort of fake it till you make it kind of. Um, exactly. You know, yeah. And, and they, were, they accepted us. They accepted us one of them, you know. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You're in, you're in a band. Come and join us, you know. Fantastic. Uh, uh, but um, I think probably the highlight, when I think back on it, because 
if it's in your own profession, many things that you do, you just sort of take for granted, really. You just yeah. do them and you sort of go, it's only when you, in the telling afterwards, that people go, wow, yeah. wow, that's incredible. And mm. You go, yeah, I suppose it is actually. I hadn't really thought about it at the time. But when, we, when Comic Relief first launched, instead of launching as a television show, it, the first thing they did was they, they put on, like everybody does, they put on some theater shows in order to raise some money immediately that they yep. could for Ethiopia. Yep. Uh, and Richard Curtis organized this. And Richard Curtis wrote the lyrics of a silly song that we did years ago, which is a parody of the, the Bee Gees. And he said, well, come and do the heebie-jeebies song. So we turned up there. And this show was just full of the most extraordinary names and people, everybody from the world of comedy and many other people from outside of that world. At the end of it, uh, we were all told to hang around till the end. Don't leave once you've done your bit, stay. Mm. Because everybody's going to come on stage and you know, take yeah. a bow together. Yeah. Uh, and the way we took a bow was uh, Midjur and Bob Geldof sang Feed the World on the stage. And they sang the introduction to it. And then when it came to the chorus, we all walked on behind them. And you were on stage it. as well, yeah. And I was standing in the wings behind Kate Bush. Just as it came to the moment before we went on, she turned to me and said, isn't it exciting? For the fact that somebody as extraordinary as Kate Bush and as huge a star oh, as Kate massive. Bush was, yeah. I mean, and one of the greatest pop stars of all time. Unique voice. And it's extraordinary, unique, wonderful person that she stood in front of me and she turned to me, who she probably didn't, I don't know whether she saw our act or not, I don't know. But she was so excited by this moment that she had to express it to someone, and it was me. And it was you. What? A, well, that's a that's a memory you you could bring with you into the time capsule. Perhaps. It is. Just, that, that would be one of them. I think. Yeah. It would yeah. be one of them because it also made it clear to me that it doesn't really matter how big you get or how famous you become. Yeah. There is always going to be something in you that is the little child that feels you've been let loose in the sweet shop. You know. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, what, what, and that's what got to be the reason for doing it, isn't it? That's got to oh, be yeah. the reason for doing it. Yeah. What would you say was your first big break? How did you get into entertainment? It happened right. At, it's again. It's through that song. That it's through the song. Of the Bee Gees. Yeah. Right. We, we we went up to Edinburgh. I went up to do a number of shows in Edinburgh. As we're from university, and we were performing in Edinburgh. And one of the things we did was a review, late night review, and that song was in it. And it, and a, a big fuss was made about it. Everybody said it was you know, and it is a great song. If you don't know it, you know, Google it. It's a very funny song. And uh, it was a joy to do. Yeah. And we did it every night and it got a fantastic reaction. So that drew in the sort of people who gave you opportunities. So as a second year student, I was offered, would you like to make an album? Oh, and, brilliant. <laughs> you know, Can you imagine that? Go, yeah. Okay. Yes, please. Good. Yeah. Well, we've got the studio. Uh, and, and also, you know, would you like to... Uh, would you like to do a radio series for Radio 4? And we went, yeah. So before I'd even left university, I was doing a radio series and making an album, a comedy album. And, Fantastic. You know, and it's that, uh, I've never looked back, really. It's, it's it just carried on. Brilliant. The world is
versatile actor I mean because you've been a range of um what spitting image um was that quite fun to do I imagine yeah it was great fun I mean again I was drawn in really because of the singing uh, we used to because of we did these parodies of pop groups yeah uh, they they thought that you know Philip Pope then who was part of the group became the musical director and he you know we'd worked together an enormous amount mm. so he found it useful to have me there because he knew that I was adaptable and uh, that I could take on different yeah. roles and voices and everything. And I was not the greatest singer. And I was certainly not the greatest reader of music. And there were some amazing people on in Spitting Image. Uh, Mr. President, did you know that the profits of the arms deal went to the Contras? Can, can you speak a little softer, please? I can almost hear you. <laughs> President, uh, 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 how is your arsehole? Casper Weinberger's just fine. <laughs> Have you seen uh, the modern take of Spitting Image? I haven't, no, Britbox, I haven't seen it, but, uh, no, I, but I, understand, no, I, I understand it's very good. You know? yeah. uh, I'm not surprised, you know, and it is exactly what's needed. You do need a new, you know, young generation of people to come through and, and you know, vent their spleen, as it were. Meldrum uh, you know, have, yeah. have, have you got any sitcoms you quite like watching in, in recent times, even if it goes yeah, back I 10, do. 15 years? Is there are few I and far do. between, aren't they? But what do you like? Um, I really like those ones... I look, I quite like the subtle ones, you know, I mean, I really love him and her. Uh, yeah. Uh, which I think is a, a work of genius. I have seen to say. bits of that. Well, Joe Wilkinson's in that one, isn't he? Yeah. And, uh, uh, yeah. Um, Russell uh, Toby, Russell Toby. Yeah. Uh, Toby. I know Toby. you mean. Yeah. Yeah. I just, just, if you don't know it, look it up, him and her. It's a really fabulous thing. And this country I love. Yeah, I, I saw you on the This Country podcast. What the actual I mean, I, podcast? I, I, yeah, I genuinely love that program. I think it's um, I think it's a marvelous thing, and again, it's like a lot of really great shows, three series, and that's it. You know, yeah, they, they, that's they, true. They, it's finished. It's gone. You know, I mean, I'm and at the same time, I really, I'm really enjoying Shit's Creek at the moment. On, you know, <laughs> I think it's very, very funny. I got um, beautifully performed. Beautifully I got a performed. A, co a colleague, a Canadian colleague, and she obsessed with, uh, with Schitt's Creek and badgering me almost daily to watch it and um, I'm, I'm going to have to. Um, I've multiple. They're, all very short, they're very short episodes. Yes. You know, they, they feel short. Anyway, I think yeah. they're probably about 23, 24 minutes. And, and you, once you start watching, you suddenly you watch Fantastic. 10. Fantastic. Did you watch The Detectorists with Mackenzie Crook? That is fantastic. Detectorists, yes. Absolutely fantastic, yeah. Subtle yes. comedy. Mackenzie Crook, uh, people forget, I think, that he was so good in The Office. Oh, you know, they're so used brilliant. to seeing him in other things, but he's absolutely, it's a work of, it's a, it's a fantastic, it's an Oscar-winning performance, I think, his performance of The Office. Yeah. It, it's, you know, Ricky Gervais is Ricky Gervais, and nobody can be Ricky Gervais, so he does Ricky Gervais fantastically well. Martin Freeman, that comedy performance is what he does when he does comedy. I've done uh, yeah. a I did three radio series with Martin, basically playing that character. And it's fantastically funny. He's really, really good at it. But Mackenzie Crook, that creation of that character. Yeah, it's fantastic. Yeah. I mean, it's sort of respawned in this country with Curtin. 
in a way. It, it, it's, um, it just it reminds me of it, yeah. It's, that's the first thing you think, I think, with the haircut and the, the broad yeah. accent. I mean, depending on who you speak to, you, you are known, you're, you're very well, various episodes of British comedy history, you're known for playing different types of characters. I think, to be fair, speak on behalf of only Force and Horses fans, in the episode, um, The Unlucky Winner is playing mm. Holiday Rep Alan Perkins. That's, for me, personally, what I know you most for. In, in yes, you know, it's called, Falls and it's Horses called Perkins. It's called Perkins because, because um, I'm, I was a very good friend of Jeffrey Perkins, the producer, and, uh, and he didn't have a second name when right. we went in. And, uh, and David introduced me to John Sullivan. He said, you know, Mike, he's Jeffrey Perkins, mate. And uh, we did, we, you know, and he he went, oh right, and he changed the name, so he made me Alan Perkins. So you were Alan was the Groovy Gang Under 15s Kellogg's Competition Winners Program <laughs> lead. Every time one of the organisers says, "Are you having fun?" or you kids shout, "Groovy," <laughs> with the catchphrase, uh, "Are you having fun?" Groovy, Groovy, um, yeah. which. I mean, Series 6 of Balls and Horses, for me, the best, wow. The, I think it, is, it, it is absolute heights. Oh, yes, just... it, it really does, doesn't it? It's an amazing series, that, I think. I was very, very lucky to be in it. Uh, and uh, very lucky to hit it at that point. And actually, uh, what's amazing about that is I made no effort to be in it. It's not like I didn't even audition for that part. I, uh, my agent That's ran... my question. I was going to say, how did you get into it? So, well, you partly answered. So, you were approached, I presume, headhunted. Well, I was represented by Meg Poole. And, oh, okay. Right. And, Sorry, yeah. And, uh, who's David's agent. And they, he said, we need somebody. You got anybody? And, and she rang me and said, do you want to play a party in Only Fools and Horses? And I yes. said, yeah. <laughs> I, was due to get, I was due to fly to the Maldives and do an advert. And, uh, and it, it clashed. And so we cancelled my advert, my £10,000 advert. That, uh, <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, you got to weigh up the, the long-term... Benefit. Yeah, no, I mean, you've, you've been in, you've been in Fools and Horses. You've been one foot in the grave. I mean, I I worked a long time ago when I was a very young man with the actor Tony Britton, who's Fern Britton's dad, right. and and uh, the classical actor Jasper Britton is also yep. his son. Uh, so Tony Britton was a very big. He was in a number of of very successful sitcoms in the seventies, early seventies, I would think. Father, dear father, and things like yep. that. He was, you know. He was very successful. And when I worked with him as a young actor, he, the advice he gave me when I shared uh, digs with him at one point, one night after, over a bottle of scotch, he said to me, Mike, if you're ever offered a job in a situation comedy, take it. He said, because it'll keep paying you money for the rest of your life. And I went, okay. So if ever I was offered a job in a situation comedy, I took it even though something more lucrative mm. at the time may have come along. So the reason I did Only Fools and Horses is because I knew that it would continue to pay me for the well, rest of my life. you got it. Yeah, it's, it it's, still a, it's still a job, isn't it? And by that point, 1989, wasn't it? They, they aired mm. anyway. So six series in, it's already developed a, a strong following. What was, yeah. it like, what was it like working on the set with David Jason, Nick Lindhurst? Uh, brilliant. There's no other... I mean, I, I can't really say any, any more than that. I mean... From the moment we arrived, they were incredibly welcoming. Uh, David is always, and Nick, I have to say, both yeah. treated me as if, uh, as an equal. Yeah. Which is a very, 
very complimentary thing to happen to you when you turn up to be in one episode of something that at that stage was the biggest show on television. Yeah. So you turn up to play a part in one, and they absolutely, as far as they were concerned, we were equals. Is he not a good mixer? Well, good mixer, him, he's like a Cambridge chef when he gets going. <laughs> what I had to say about the thing was as important as they had, what they had to say. Yeah. And David asked me to stay around, don't, you know, can you stay around and have a look at the scenes? You know, have you got any ideas? Uh, could you actually, tell you what, Mike, take my script and could you prompt me? Could you follow my lines and prompt me? Because it would be useful to have an actor who knows, this is directly what he said to me, it would be really useful to know and have an actor who knows when I'm doing a comedy pause or when I've forgotten the lines. And, and that's very true. Mm. You know, it is useful to know that. If you give a lead, uh, there's a big gap. Somebody who doesn't understand acting will think, oh, he's forgotten the line. And they'll say the line. And you go, no, I'm, I'm timing a, go, a joke here. I'm doing a gag. You yeah. Know? And you've got to wait. Uh, I guess, well, it was, was that live audience, was that on set in front of an audience or some of it? And some of it was, some of it wasn't, you know. So, in fact, you work out what you think the laugh will be for the filming that, um, that is not in front of an audience. You have yeah. to give it the same performance, as it were. You have to know there's going to be a laugh there and leave the gap. Leave the gap and then deliver your dialogue so yeah the worst thing you can do is deliver it as the audience are at the most yeah, highest yeah. decibel rate of laughter and they can't hear it i mean that no, I, no, I, no good at all and, and it's strange enough uh, also because it was such an enormous show and, and the fans were so excited to be there people in the audience were just beside themselves with yeah. excitement to be actually watching only fours and horses being done live that every single line they said this audience roared with laughter they roared and they applauded everything so every single scene that you, we did, we did, we did two or three times. Yeah. Because by the time you get to do it the second or the third time, they already know the jokes. They still laugh, but yeah. they don't laugh as much. And then you can do it at the pace that is good for television. Yeah. If, you, if they'd shown the first takes of the stuff, they would never have fitted it into the time. So when you're looking back at the show, you're not seeing the first take. Uh, not because the first take wasn't brilliant. It was always no. brilliant. But, uh, you know. Can I ask, do you recall any scenes that were cut and never made it to film it? Uh, or I would remember those things if, if only I still had my script, but I gave it to the Only Fools and Horses Appreciation Society. Yeah. And, but there was at least 10 minutes of, uh, of material that we didn't do. I think there was a scene in the bar, I seem to remember, between, um, there was a scene that we did in their bedroom with me and Gina Bellman going into the bedroom and checking the passports because yeah. we didn't quite, we were suspicious by this stage at, yes. the, you know, at Rodney's age. There was another scene, I think, in the bar, which is where we also filmed, you know, the reception area, where we also filmed the final scene. But we did do another scene there, which was cut. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I remember first watching that episode, I see I'm a young lad, you know, and... You are quite grit. It's a sitcom, but Rodney's supposed to be fourteen, and he's you know twenty-seven. Yeah, you know, in his character. And <laughs> do you do you think Alan genuinely believed genuinely believed it because it's said on the past? But I know it's doctored by Dell. Do you think he believed it, or was he just running with it? Or what? I you, think what's it, your take on it? Uh, one of my take was that he was only wor really worried about losing his job. So if if it all looked official, that's fine by him. And, you know, and he's got too many things to think about. This is a man who's running a kids' club in <laughs> Spain. 
You know, I mean, the last thing he wants to do is have any trouble. So I think sure. he's just one of those, like all these people, smiling and smiling and smiling. He would have gone back and gone back into the office and gone. It's a big lad, isn't it? Jesus Christ, those <laughs> two. Are, what a pair of twats, you know. I know. I mean, back in the day where you could write on a passport with pen, as I presume you are, <laughs> that's what Dale's done. Yeah. Um, and it comes back to bite them on the backside because Rodney's winning lottery ticket you need to be what, uh, 16 or 18, whatever it was. Yeah. And that so was, you, did, um, you can't collect the money. And, and, and do you know that ending, that ending was not in the script when we first got them. Was it not? What, the bit where they celebrate um, re- the, re- the, the reveal of his age? Yeah, it was a different ending. What, what uh, was it? Uh, I can't remember because we went through a number of them. It was one of those strange situations where one of the things that John Sullivan was famous for was the twist at the end. But he always managed to resolve the whole thing again. And I remember when we did the read through, it got to that last bit, and he, and it didn't, it wasn't, there wasn't really anything in the script. He said, I, "I'm not sure what I've, I haven't written it yet." Okay, so he didn't, he didn't know what the end was going to be. Uh, okay. He said, "You know, they need to be caught out somehow." Yeah, they, they never, they never really have a win, and not until they become millionaires, of course. But it always, yeah. almost always, lose out. I mean, I think it may have been that they won. But it turns out that the amount they won was about a hundred pounds. Yeah. So in fact, that was what the original twist was, and he kept saying, "It's not enough, is it? It's not. It's not enough of a twist." You know, they think they're millionaires, and then it turns out that actually, no, it's only worth a hundred quid. It must yeah. be something, something else. We talked about. It. I think it may have been David who said, "Well, what if he's? What if you know if it is a lot of money, but you know, yeah. he's not old enough." Yeah. I think that'd be worked perfectly. I think that's the perfect ending. It is, this but, it, but it was it was developed during the week. That it was it mm. was we worked on it, and everybody I think slightly contributed. But then John Sullivan took all those ideas and went away and wrote the whole thing. You just won a million potatoes. What's the matter, Alan? Had there ever been a hope that you could return as a different character or in any way? Was there ever any talk of that or was it just... Um, yeah, yeah, I mean, it has happened uh, on a number of things. I have been in other shows yeah, more than once as yeah, different characters. Yeah. You know, So, yeah, I've been in casualty a number of times. Doctors, I think I've been in four times different people. Okay. Yeah. You know, so, yeah, you know, I mean, people don't, don't notice it, but I don't know. I mean... It, Episode six, series six, there weren't that many more after that, and it would have been strange to have me come back in. I guess so, yeah. I mean, uh, Mr. Bean, I fondly remember uh, room 426. Is that what it is? I was asking somebody the, the, the other day, actually. <laughs> I can't that, remember. It's just silliness, isn't it? Rowan Atkinson playing. It's just yeah, child, 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 childlike mean, competitiveness with you. Lovely. We spent, we, spent, uh, we spent a week in that, in that hotel filming that thing down in South Sea. Down okay. near, um, yeah, and you know, in the middle of winter, and it, it was so. It was, um, it was interesting. We all stayed in the hotel, uh, and uh, and then we that, filmed that, it. There. That very hotel. We, stay, we all stayed in that hotel. Yeah. Okay. So it's it's not you know most luxurious hotel, but we stayed there for the for the week, and then filmed in other rooms. So they booked the whole hotel. I, I was going to say, do they basically shut it down? But, uh, but yeah, to a, to a large extent, and and again, that's um, that's a interesting experience you know rowan is always he's a very there's a similarity between rowan and, and david which is is their attention to detail yeah. both of them are incredibly detailed in what they do yeah they really they work it all out and they know what they're going to do and then they 
they make it look accidental. And that's it's a great skill. I got a theory with with your character, Mr. Bean. He, he was very competitive against your character. Yeah. And do you know, in the Mr. Bean series, he's he every so often comes across uh, another three wheel van, uh, a blue a blue coloured. It's not a, it's not it's not. A, I think it might be a mini or it might be a reliable yeah. Robin or mm-hmm. a Regal. And he often knocks them off the road or, or tries to overtake. And I just wonder if your character. You're the driver, that's why he was <laughs> up against you at the buffet table. I don't know. It was I don't know. I don't know. No, I think it may have been, you know, I mean, that whole, it, it's like all those things. It comes from tiny little moments. So the moment he, he, he finds himself at the desk with the same man and, yeah. and you know, who gets to sign the thing first and who gets the pen. And from then on, he thinks he's in competition. But there are all sorts of things in that, that episode that, um, you know, I mean, Rowan is a, is a, is a, you know, a genius, really. Yes, he's one genius. of the greats. Yeah, and and it's again, it's that that working out, knowing that every single moment is important. You know, there's a little scene where I come down the stairs and uh, and I realise that I've left my watch in my room, which is why I go back and discover. Yeah. yeah. So just that moment, we had to do this scene, very simple scene to do. I walk down these stairs, get near the bottom, and then oh. Yeah, oh, I've left it back in, and and I did that, and went back, and the director said, "Yeah, have a go. It's not really clear what you're doing, Mike." When well, I'm looking at, and he said, "I oh, know it looks. I don't know what you're doing. It's quite obvious." No one said, uh, "Tap your wrist," and I said, "Okay," thinking, "All well, right." So I walk down the stairs. I, I go like I go, oh. and just a, just a, just that little touch like that. And that made it very clear. It makes it very clear that it's my watch. Right. Not something on my hand, not something else. You know, it could be anything of that, but that. Yeah, I mean, that, personally, I, I would have, I feel like, I like to think I would know what you meant if you just didn't tell me. I think it, I but, probably, you probably you would know, have done. But you it's, can't um, argue with the director, can you? No, I suppose? <laughs> but I think that sort of detail, again, and, and to recognise that, and to know those sort of things, you know, it was... Um, it was very good, and and the whole sort of eating sequence that we did took us nearly a, a day to do. Was that I mean, choreographed? Did you could you just it, it, incredibly you... closely choreographed? Yeah. Yes. I mean, every moment of it is choreographed. Yeah. Yes. So, um, yeah, it's, it's amazing, fascinating, fun. In uh, my family, you you played a character with the same surname as I, Mr. Griffith, and oh, right. it, it's, it's rare to come across someone without an s on the end of griffith i'm forever uh-huh. saying no s on the end i just thought point i thought did you have good fun <laughs> with my family robert Lindsay and yeah i did yeah yeah and i and uh, I, I knew robert Lindsay from way back really because he's he's a john sullivan yeah, and john sullivan smith, brought yeah. into the world sid and smith you know but um uh, yeah he's he again is a very all the all the best comedy performers are very detailed yeah. they know what they're doing they've thought about it all there's very little. The only person I've ever worked with where a lot of it was accidental, but everything was wonderful was was um, was Lee Evans. You know, so I, I did a sitcom yeah, with him, yeah. and and he would say, and then we do. I don't know what we do. We do something there, Mike. And you go, well, what are we going to do? He said, I oh, do. Just follow me. And he would leave it until the moment he was in front of an audience. He liked to do things on the spur of the moment, and and usually they were absolutely fantastic. You know, that make me so, very so nervous. That's, that's, yeah, we're very nervous. You know, I mean, I've got to, I've got to go with him. I've, you know, I had to do yeah. one scene where uh, he, I, I played a doctor, 
and he came in and he was on the bed. I said, just stay there. I'll just go and get something on reception. Come back. And I come back in and he's been pressing the buttons and the things sort of trapped him inside him. And then I try and get him out. Well, we had, we didn't work with that prop until we were in front of an audience. Right. And that's, we had no that's... idea what was going to happen. And it, it, it turned into a sort of five minute physical routine of him getting me on the bed and then climbing on me and trapping me and then bending my arm. And, uh, and you it's, just it's had... spontaneous. Sometimes it works better. I think. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. I don't know. But that, he's the only person I've known who, who didn't work it all out. Yeah. You know, I mean, he's, he's very much taken a break from, for a long break, isn't he, from I, entertainment? I think I, he's actually decided he's, he's stopped, I think. I think I recall on the Jonathan Ross show quite some years ago, he said, that's it, I'm, I'm, I'm finished. And yeah, I, yeah. Gonna, I yeah. could be wrong. I think, I think it's something glaring obvious. Well, no, I think he had it, you know, a, a bit like David Jason did for a while. He sort of went, no, I've got a, you know, I've got small kids and I want to you know yeah, know yeah. when they get to a certain age they would have spent time with me and i can afford to yes absolutely I yeah think, was... you know, i don't have to earn money no 80 years young now isn't he the great yeah. great man so um well i think one foot in the grave talk now i think my i think you're right i think we you're... should do i mean you start as uh, pippa trench's brother yeah jeffrey croker um, Hole in the Sky, Series 5. I mean, yeah. you graced our screen. Another, another part that I did an audition for. You know, I, I mean, let's face it, I've been working with Angus Deaton since I was uh, a student. We, yeah. You know, that show we did in Edinburgh, we did together in Edinburgh, Angus and I. And so we've known each other that long. Uh, I've worked with, with Janine Davidsky, who plays Pippa, Pippa, a number of times over the years in different things, all the, and continue to work with her right through to Benidorm, you know. Yeah, you've been... You know, although, like, so you graced our screens briefly in this episode as, yeah, Pippa's brother. Um, very briefly, yes. Very briefly, but it's, you know, you're still a, a fictional relative of a main character in one of Britain's yeah. finest sitcoms, so that's that's the bottom line. <laughs> that's enough for me. Not yeah. many people can boast that. Um, like you said, you work with Angus Deaton and... I've known Richard Wilson for many years, and yeah. so it was, you know, it was like, you know, oh, yeah, we're going to, you know, and, and, and David Rennick, I've... I've I've known him since he was a writer for the radio and we were a great one of, you know, we were great. He wrote a thing called the Berkis way on radio four. And that was uh, something that we very much based our first radio series on right. that style of the whole thing. So, you know, I mean, my, my connection with it all, Annette, I've done uh, a series called old Harry's game with Andy. Oh, Harry's game. Yeah. 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 And we, we did, we did that all those together. So, you know, it, there's, there's you another, know, actor in this episode who you've mm-hmm. got connection with with only fools and horses do you re- remember who no i don't know um you went in the you went in the same episode as him but um, you, you were both in only fools and horses for an episode uh christopher ryan of course was in of course um, he was yeah he was the, one of the driscoll brothers in yeah. little, little problems in series six so you might have yeah. i don't know you would have crossed paths in, in the studios i don't know but did you no, i think so how long was how how long what was the filming process like with hole in the sky was it on location in this lovely house was no that no set? that was a set that was, was it really set. yeah very convincing it is very convincing yeah. isn't it yeah and no, it was a set in the studio uh and so you know that was uh it was it was very quick i mean we rehearsed it and then then we did it that was not done in front of an audience that the my scenes were done as pre-filming mm-hmm. so in fact i never got to do uh, one foot in the grave in front of an audience. It's very weird. Do you think your your character Jeffrey um, 
Jack's relationship with his sister at first impression was a little bit a little bit weird, isn't it? It's a kiss on the lips. It's a cut. It's it's the purposely, purposefully. Um, it's a bit of misdirection, isn't it? And we're led to yeah. Vic, Victor thinks, "Oh God, I've he's returning some money to your character that you've you dropped." <laughs> I think he's doing a favour, and of course, oh God, he's got himself in a situation where he's he's going to be rumbled by once again by the trenches. He's throwing yeah. it. It's it's quite frustrating for the viewer because yes, it is. Does, you think, just walk out. Just walk out. Does and you know, he, does, he doesn't say, mean to. Excuse, no, excuse me, I'm sorry, and just walk out. But no, it, it just, you know, it's like all great farcical comedy. Uh, one mistake leads to a bigger mistake until it's a mistake that each problem propounds the other so that you end up in a situation which you can't get out of because yeah. of one tiny error, one misjudgment. away from that man. Nothing's really that bad now between you and him. I don't know how much longer we're going to last, the way things are going. Ah, well, you're here now, and we're in for the night. So let's shut the rest of the world out, shall we? And get you upstairs. Had you, had, you, had you got into One Foot in the Grave prior to filming? Were you a fan oh, of Oh, yeah, the... yeah, no, yeah. It's, it's a great series. I mean, it was always a great series, and and uh, and, and you know, Richard Wilson is is, a, is an extraordinary man. He's a mm. he's a brilliant director. I mean, yeah. one of the great directors of this country, I think, over the years. The work he's done at the Rod Exchange and all sorts of things. He's a very intelligent man. Mm. He has a, that, he has that amazing thing of of coming into acting very late, which is, yes. uh, is also interesting. I think you know that you don't have to come in at, straight out of drama school. That um, actually maybe it's a benefit not to. You know. Yeah, uh, what, with so working with Richard Wilson, then what's he like to work with, and and David Renwick directing, or well, Susie Belbin was directing, but yes, that's it, right. Is it quite? Are they quite strict? Like Renwick they are and, quite strict. They they're, they're quite keen on keeping the thing as written. You know, don't don't not, stray from it. Not Lee Evans you know, style. Most, most most writers are. You know, I've, I've done a, they will have put a lot of effort into making sure that the thing happens. You know, John Morton, who I've worked with a number of times, who um, who does uh, 2012 and W1A and then people like us I've worked with him on. But his writing is incredibly detailed and he takes an enormous amount of care over every syllable. So it's understandably he finds it galling if people mess yeah. them around, you know. I once got a piece of direction from him, which was... Um, uh, he said, great, that's great, Mike, very good, you know, lovely. We'll have another go, try and do it a bit faster. Uh, oh, and by the way, that, that uh, is an um. So that, that's how detailed it was. Mm. was that is, he'd, he'd notice I'd gone, uh, instead of... Um, was Tony Dow from Only Fools and Horses similar and John Sullivan? Uh, no, no. Tony Dow is much more, if it's funny, it's funny. Just yeah. keep it funny, be funny. Uh, he's much more of a, uh, an old-style sitcom person. Although I worked with Tony Dow as the director of Nighty Night, you know, and and it was it, he was brought in about three days after we started because right, it wasn't right. working okay. with the director we had. Yeah, and uh, they they suddenly went right. Well, we need someone who can just get the job done, and Tony Dow is your man. He will go. Yeah, fine. I'll, you know, I put the camera here. You do it. Do what you think is funny, and I'll you know I'll film it and I'll put it all. I'll sort it out later. 
So he's a very experienced and very knowledgeable man. The Fools and Horses documentaries, the the Reese well, one from a few years ago, he's, he sat with David Jason on, on the set of Fools and Horses in the pretend mm-hmm. flat. They seem to have quite a good bubbly relationship. I think yeah, that's, yeah, that's yeah, obviously key, know. isn't it? Um, who, wouldn't, who, who wouldn't get on with Tony Dow? He's, 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 comes he's across, Yeah, he comes across as a very lovely bloke. But mm. to one thing, the great, so the, part of the reason I, did, I do this podcast, because I don't think it gets enough attention no, through social I media. I, I, I can't, I think we, before I hit record, we speculated that it could be because it's just not repeated enough. I think sometimes on gold, they, they show the odd episode, but for some reason. And those, those, that, they could be, there's, there are many reasons why that could happen. It would never be because they didn't think people would find it funny, uh, undoubtedly. Hmm. If, if, in many ways, you know, One Foot in the Grave is one of those programs that, that you might think is timeless. You know, I mean, it's just yeah, not, yeah. Going, not really going to age much. It's just a really good comedy. It's, it's dark. It it's may, dark. It, 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 in my experience, the reason they don't repeat things uh, is always down to finance. They couldn't afford it. They couldn't afford the great there one. Must, for there must be a deal. There must have been a deal somewhere along the line. Somebody signed something that's saying, yeah. if you repeat this, I get my full whack yeah. and, you know, yeah. whatever. So, you know, somewhere along the line, it, somebody would need to be paid a lot of money in order for it to happen, which is why it doesn't happen. I mean, it's on, it's on BritBox, so it's, it's there in the, on the streaming platforms, I suppose. I just think i've had quite a few people kindly email in and say you know they're quite grateful i'm doing the pod because i think listening to a, a nerdy sitcom podcast yeah. is quite in 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 the last few years so people said i'm so glad you've done one foot and i, I was one of those people you know up until the start of this year i thought i would i would love someone to do a one foot in the grave podcast so i, I thought sod it i'll get on with it and during lockdown oh, even i even though i've been working i've had time to edit it and put it together and yeah, great. Sort of a bit attraction, but yeah, I mean, what's do you have a do you have a memorable moment from one point in the grave that you really enjoyed as a viewer? Apart no, from being in it? well, you know, there are lots of moments actually. I really liked my favourite episode. I think is is the one where they're in the car all the way through. It's, in the cage. Terribly, it's a terribly famous scene, but I really like those sort of contained things. And in the end, it, it that absolutely comes down to performance. Yes. those sort of things you yeah, know you've, the, got, you've almost without doubt got all three faces on screen all the way through you know it, it, they hardly leave the camera they get up maybe you know there's there are very few editing points either in it it's it's, it's it's just it's just pure performance and it's it's a great it's a great episode um you know but i i really love richard wilson i think he's just the most gorgeous man and i'm really lucky that that you know particularly through my friendship with Angus, uh, who, is, who has remained an extremely close friend of Richard's. And I, I always think that's um, yes. a sign of, of a happy show. They've, they're, they're very close and they're very good friends. <laughs> and I've, I've been on holiday with the two of them and you know, had, had wonderful times. We went to Italy and Richard was... Um, no, I'm not, I'm not <laughs> fine. No, no. I, take the Prosecco away. I don't want Prosecco. I want champagne. I wasn't expecting an impression. That's just that's light and mood even more. So, that's but a marvelous you know, impression of the great man. He yeah. he's the poshest Scotsman I've ever I've heard. He I, you didn't really. I didn't realize for you know watch one foot as a young lad. You know, you a boy. Some years later, I realized I found he was just Scottish. Annette clearly sounds Scottish, but 
Um, I just thought he's a very posh English sounding chap, but um, yes, I know. Well, I think yeah. that's just you know, it would have been necessary to do that yeah. in order to get on in acting and you do that thing, but they're just that very bloody hell. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a strange exit, isn't it? And I, I, I was in a, I, I have one of those very few things. He said, All the bloody time people are always everywhere I go, I don't believe it. Oh, fuck off. <laughs> <laughs> he said it's ridiculous so then we went into town in italy and we he was him and angus were you know unsure about going into this town because they get both of them were very very famous at the time yeah, so angus yeah. was doing have i got news for you, you yeah yeah and and you know richard was doing one foot so they were incredibly recognizable this is a thing that fades it's do you, not, do you, you know, do you think have i got news for you has been the same since angus no, departed. I'm not going to talk about right. We know. No, I would, I, would so far, I would go so far as saying nowhere near as good. It's no. I've, uh, do you know? I've you know I watched yeah, quite religiously in the 90s, early 2000s, hmm. and it just hasn't been. We've had some. They have some great guests. On, uh, well, yeah, they really just, have. But what you what you miss is in fact that slightly you miss the the conflict that, that dynamic with Merton and Hislop. Yeah, it's not the same. It's uh, not the same. Shame, but you know, there you go. Never mind. I'd you know. He's a he's a very happy man, Angus, and I uh, you know, he's a very lovely man. He's a what, very sweet, what, sweet, generous, kind man, and you know, maligned mm. badly by by certain in certain quarters, and it, it, it's not deserved at all. Anyway, we were we were on this holiday, and they said, "Oh, no, go down." And, it, and Angus said, "Well, it's not a very it's not a very touristy place." So we went to this place. We sat in the main square, and, and they both had baseball caps and dark glasses on and i sat in between them having a drink and from the other side of the uh, of the of the square this very loud english woman went oh my word oh my lord i can't believe it oh no oh look and she ran across and the two of them angus going angus going oh <laughs> and richard richard went oh bloody hell <laughs> and, and, and victor in a moment I know, and then <laughs> sort of came across and sort of almost pushed them aside and said, "Are you Michael Fenton Stevens?" No, uh, <laughs> that was a little bit of a twist there. I wasn't expecting that. And I know the way you were building well, that were, up. I thought I thought were, they, were they were completely disguised and everything. And then, of course, she asked Richard if he would take a photograph. <laughs> she gave him her camera. And said, "Would you mind taking a photograph?" And he said, "No, I, I do mind." <laughs> yes, I would take a photograph of you, Mike, because you're so famous. And, and, then, and then, after she'd gone, of course, the two of them were sitting there, and, and Richard actually did say, I don't believe it. And I said, you, You're not supposed to say that's that. A, yeah, I, I, that's the last thing I probably would ask. What, what, in, in the style of Richard Wilson, straight I'm not doing street, if, I, what would, if I said to him, I passed him the street, Do you want to come on the podcast? How would he respond? Off. No, I don't know. He might do. He might well do. You know, I mean, he, he's he's absolutely. See, I don't think he'd want to come on to talk about himself. That's the problem. He's he's very much not that person. Quite a private he, individual. Absolutely. Yeah. No, I right. respect that. I I respect. You know, that. it's sort of. I, I don't want to come on and talk about me and being famous or mm. things I did that people might. You know, yeah. I don't. I did it, and it's there. It is, and you think what you like of it, but you know. He's, if you ask him to come on to talk about something else, something he cared about, you know, like a, a you know, directing or yeah, or, or what plays he likes. Yeah. yeah, 
arguably one of the sitcom's biggest talking points, mystery points, is did Margaret Meldrew take revenge on Hannah Gordon's character, Glynis, the death <laughs> of Victor? Do you, I, I, don't, I don't know if you... I presume you watched it years ago. Do you... Yes, I do. Do, remember. do you remember, do you have a an opinion on on that, or do you just accept it for what it is and it's a mystery? Because fans <clears> don't know. They all talk about it. I can't really ever look at Hannah Gordon without realize remembering that she was uh, she was certainly an object of great lust for me when I was a young yeah. man, and and so she she did a series of John Alderton, uh, and uh, yeah, mm. I can't I'm, I'm, I couldn't I can't think badly of her. Do you yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. I find it hard to maybe find you a... channel that energy into the fact that maybe her character didn't well wasn't murdered by maybe. I mean it's maybe. just that it's, it's, it's classic I'm not sure. sure I'm not sure that that you know Annette's character or Annette herself is the sort of person who would take revenge I love the fact that she popped up in in uh Afterlife. Oh, afterlife, especially and the language. I mean, once again, but once again, demonstrating what a consummate com comedic actress she is. Yeah. Absolute genius. I mean, she's one of the greats. There's no doubt about it. Uh, working with her on the old old Harry's game, we would all sit and practice, and uh, and she probably did put all the work in beforehand, yeah. like all the greats. You know, she put the work in. She knew what she was doing, and she knew exactly how she was going to do it, and she delivered every time. She was just fabulous and wonderful to work with she's a gorgeous woman you know? so, i was quite yeah. proud to see her on that actually because mm -hmm. I, I sort of at the height of my i say the height of my podcast i was getting into the swing of it and then afterlife comes out and annette crosby props up in the first episode what advice would you give to someone to have a long life like yours don't it's fucking awful it hurts just to be alive here's my typical month First week, diarrhea. The next three weeks, I can't shit at all. And what a brilliant. And I tweeted Ricky Gervais and he, he acknowledged it, which is very, was quite yeah, good. very nice. good at that, actually. So yeah. He does uh, appreciate the feedback he gets. But um, do you think One Foot in the Grave ended the right way? Do you think it could have gone on another couple of series? Well, I suppose... No, no I think it probably did. I think that actually, you know... You could have left them both in that house and just left them getting on with it, you know. Yeah. But I, when you think about the early stuff of, of the going past, do you remember right at the beginning when he goes past in the apple tree in the garden that he'd... Oh, if that's um, in Luton Airport, no one hears he screams. So they, they they return from holiday and their house has been demolished. Yeah, Is that, so that's yeah. right at the beginning, isn't it? And he speaks about the apple tree he plants, apple 20, tree. 25, not one bloody apple. Not one bloody apple. <laughs> Brilliant stuff, you know. But uh, you marvelous. see, I think that that sort of whimsical thing—it would have been—it would have been too sad. I think almost to to leave. She is the person who can survive without him. I think. Oh yes. He would, he would never have survived without her. So yeah. in a way, you're you're left with a situation which is which is slightly comforting. You know, mm. we're all going to go. Yes. And what you don't want is someone left on their own who hasn't got the strength of character to, to go, okay, I know I'm in grief, but I will get on with it. And we all know someone like that. We've all come yep. across those people. And quite often, sometimes it's the wrong way round. You think, oh, no, this is this is not a good thing. You know? Yeah, he's not the bad guy at all, um, Victor Meldry. I think the media gives that 
if there's someone in, in, in the press who's acting miserable, they'll say, oh, he's just a Victor Maldry's moaning. But we actually, we all side with Victor. He's yeah. almost always right. And yeah, he moans and he dwells well, you know, a bit. What, he, we, what he does is he moans about things that we all want to moan about. Yeah. But we don't have the nerve to do it. You know, we're all a bit embarrassed about it. When I say that, but I, I do have the nerve to do it. And I have no... I don't have a great level, you probably realise this having spoken to me, but I have a very low level of embarrassment. My, my embarrassment quota is very low. I find to embarrass myself, I have to do something really extreme, yeah, really, yeah. you know, astonishingly embarrassing. I can embarrass people around me very easily, my children, <laughs> my wife, yeah. people I'm out with, people in a pub. Yeah. People look at, I can circle around and think, oh, they're all embarrassed about something. Well, oh, it's me. You know, but but I don't get embarrassed by it because I go, I don't care. You know, I mean, mm. I, look, I'm just doing what came into my head. If yeah. you don't like it or you don't think it's funny, then turn away. You know, I mean, I don't know. We should all uh, channel our Fenton Stevens, straight Victor Meldrew, uh, charisma, um, balls. We've ball, got to be more ballsy, I suppose. As, um, yeah, in not, life, I think yeah. so. Yeah. You know, and actually, I think generally there's a benefit to it. I've found that uh, that all the things, nearly all the things I've done like that, where people have gone, shush, 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 what are you, what are you doing, what are you doing? You know? So I am the, pe people go, if I'm someone, I think somebody should say, some, somebody should make a, an announcement, really, shouldn't they, about uh, it's his birthday and yeah. we're, not, we're all about to go. Somebody should do, uh, uh, everyone, excuse me, <laughs> that's me, off I go. Yeah. And people go, what's, what's Mike doing, what's he doing? I just thought that it was, we should mark this moment and this person, so we should all now do a round of applause and cheer, you know, and, and then people do, and then I'll people say, oh, that was lovely, well done. Yeah, I, I, I wish I had more courage than... The, the moment know, we, you know, yeah. And if it's not, if it's not, if people, you know, find it embarrassing, they don't mention it, they just let it go. What, you know, what so about, what about confronting something that's not right, like Victor would do? Like oh, absolutely. I, I absolutely do. I, I, my son is always saying to me, you're going to get knifed. You know, excuse me, there's a bin over there. Excuse yeah. me, excuse me. Yeah. yeah. No, yes, you. There's a bin over there. That thing you dropped. That's me. I, That's I just, me. I, I mean, it's very rarely. I just, even if, like, if I'm driving and someone clearly is in the wrong, um, I don't always give it any lip. Really, just, cars usually give people power, but in the street is unusual, you know, sort mm. of. Uh, I live in Tunbridge Wells in Kent, and I was. Uh, this summer, a family of uh, from Nigeria who were clearly here sightseeing yeah. walked through my shopping precinct in the town. Yeah, in, in full, very colourful, rather beautiful Nigerian clothing. Uh, what they would wear in Nigeria, but in the middle of Tunbridge Wells, my word, does it stick out? Because it's yeah. not, it's not the most um, racially variable place in the world. Tunbridge Wells, as you can imagine. And I noticed that people all were stopping and staring as this right, lovely right. family walked through, having a lovely time looking around our beautiful town. People were just watching them go by. And I, I couldn't have it. Did you, what did you say? Well, I walked over and, and went, hello, all right, having a lovely time. Welcome to, yes, I mean, I, you look so gorgeous that everybody thinks they should look at you. <laughs> 
I think you're spot on to do that. Then perhaps they, you don't, we don't know how uh, con- conscious they would have felt. And then well, I think, they, they, I think they probably would have noticed it, but I felt Possibly. that somebody ought to say to them, you know, I think you look lovely. Yeah. You look great and welcome. It's yeah. how lovely to have you here. Thank you for coming to Tunbridge Worlds. You know, not, what the hell? Yeah. I think Lightly just... coloured clothing? A joke, for goodness sake. Let's all get a grip here, shall we? I mean, that used and to happen I'm... to me when I walked into... If I walk into a pub, I just felt if it's a very cute countryside pub, then you've got the irregulars. They just <laughs> stare at you for ages, and I used to sort of shy away from it, but I ask their back now and just give a big grin because yes. it just it will stop them from staring. But oh, just, no, no, no. I mean, it's a, you know, you know, you have a right to be there, you know, yeah. and uh, and uh, my biggest bugbear and something that I cannot, I can never let go. And uh, uh, I'm glad that I go to London on my own, usually. This is your Meldry Moan moment, right? This is my absolute Meldry moment. Here we go. Go for it. Oh, I do not believe. Will you look at this, bastards? Can you believe the nerve of this? I'll skin their ruddy heights for them. A Meldry moment is that I travel, go to London and travel on the underground. And on the underground, over the last two or three years, they have decided that it is all right for them to make announcements like this. There are delays on the district line. There's a the tunnel is blocked on the circle line. There are no trains between Wembley and so All other lines have a good service. Now, I, when that ever that is made, that announcement about there being a good service, a good service, not a full service, not an as-published service, not just the fucking service, <laughs> yeah. but a good service. I mean, it's actually good. I don't know if you need to, you know, I don't know if you've yeah. noticed, but our service is good. Yeah. And as far as I'm concerned, that's a matter of opinion. And I don't need factual. you to keep, t- it's not factual. Mm. I don't need you to keep telling me your opinion. You, of course, think it's good because you fucking own it and you provide it. So you're not going to say, and on, on all other lines, we have a mediocre service. Yeah. No. You don't when there are delays everywhere and half the lines are down and several stations are shut, say uh, all other lines have a very poor service. They never make that announcement. No, they don't. No. It's always a good service. Always. And, and so they will give you information so factual information, yeah. so qu- so quantitative mm. information, followed by a qualitative statement. These are the facts. It's good. No, I'll decide if it's good. And also, how can it be good? If there's a fault anywhere, how can the service be good? Because it's interconnected. Therefore, a fault somewhere affects the rest of it. So don't tell me that your service is good. I don't need to know your opinion. In fact, I can guess your opinion. So shut the fuck up. <laughs> that, was I, a, yeah, yeah. Good. Conte, that was a... Conte, that was brilliant. No, that was, that, that was from the heart. I it think. is. I right. always, I will, you know, and I shout out every time. Every time they say it, I say in a very loud, actory <laughs> voice, no, I say, that's your opinion. <laughs> I think that's one of the most passionate speeches of a Meldry Moon we've had. Thank you. And for that, I'm grateful. Um, before we, we, we end this conversation, what are your plans? Well, 
it's, it might be hard to answer this. What are your plans for 2021 beyond? Podcast aside, or is it? Yes, well, it is podcast aside, really. I mean, at the moment, they are all podcast based. Uh, yeah. uh, you know, I mean, we are doing uh, a Christmas podcast. We are, we are going to do my time capsules, my Christmas time capsule. And for the 25 days of the advent calendar, we will be releasing an episode a day. Crikey. They're only 10 minute episodes. So little advent calendar. Oh, okay. That's still, yeah, I'm still, yeah, there, yeah. There's a lot of work that goes saying, behind. A podcast, there is a lot of work. But, yeah. There's a lot of work involved in that, you know, but uh, yeah, saying, you know, 10 minutes of uh, one, something you'd, You'd love for Christmas something you hate, something you'd put in a time capsule and something you'd want to get rid of. Okay. And that's it. And that's what I'm doing at the moment. But there were projects that I was going to do this year. There were, there's a, I was going to do a play, a new play by Ian Hislop. All right. I've, okay. I've been, okay. I've been cast in it and was ready to start rehearsals when we hit the first lockdown. Oh. And so, um, you know, there was a film I was going to do in, in uh, Italy, which again is on, still on hold. So okay. hopefully, hopefully you get called back for that. I mean, I'm, people, they'll come back, you know, maybe. Do you but, agree uh, with all the decisions that have been made this year? No. You no, know, with, no, agreed. No. You and no. I agree on that. No, I mean. No, you, don't, you don't want another Meldrew moment. I, you? you can have another, if you like to have a rant about COVID. I mean, no, I, no, tried, I, mean I try to keep it COVID, politics and COVID free because I know people hear it all the time, but. There's always an yeah. exception to be made because this no, no, no. I don't. I mean, I don't think my opinion is is worth much more than anybody else's. Although my wife is a doctor of biochemistry, specialising right, okay. in 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 viral infections. What's so her general take on it? Her general take on it is that they've reacted too slowly and too late to mm. everything. Yeah. And that in fact, it needn't have been as severe as it's been had they anticipated things which wouldn't even have been guessing because all you had to do was look at the evidence from other countries who were ahead of us. Yeah. And had we followed, had we would have said, had we accepted that what was happening elsewhere would happen here and yeah. had planned for it. Also, from the very first day that this thing became a <clears throat> round, she's always said the only way to control this thing is either through a vaccine that gets rid of it, not likely, very difficult to get a vaccine for these sort of things, the other way is to know where it is, to keep it isolated and keep the numbers down really low. And the only way to do that is a proper track and trace system. And as we know, there are many teenagers sitting in their little bedrooms with their computers who could have designed a better app yeah. than the national app that has cost 12 billion, billion pounds. Yeah. Oh. I, I probably for about for about ten grand, I can get you five or six teenagers who yeah. would have done it. Not only that, you would have been able to play COVID games on it. Yes, you know, keep, you would have been yeah, keep you occupied. Would have been, oh, you know? Christ! But look where we are. It's, it's screwed up so many lives. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. I, mean, I am about. I am about to try and do. When you say what's happening next, is yeah. I am about to try, really as a favour to somebody who's a friend of mine who I have great admiration for, and he is trying to put on a pantomime. Uh, even with all that's going on and with the lockdown and everything, he's trying to get one on, and I've agreed to be in it. A Zoom of mine or an actual no, pantomime? In a theatre with an audience. It's an impressive and brave attempt. You know, it'll be it. socially isolated. Uh, we'll all be in little pods and groups, and everybody will be very careful. 
the whole thing, the whole show has been written so that nobody uses the same props. We don't come near each other. The jokes, most of the jokes are about isolation and not being able to touch anybody. And, you know, the oh, love okay. scene between Robin Hood and Maid Marian is done at, at you know, at least two, two meters apart. I'm glad, I'm glad there's people out there really trying to give it, give it a go. Yeah, it's the only way. It's the only way. If, if we're going to get through this and somebody's going to have a go, you know, we're mm. going to at least try and... Others will follow sort of thing. Yeah, yeah. I think so. Mike, um, it's been wonderful to have you on. Uh, you're the first guest associated with the show. Um, a first guest on the podcast that's been on the TV. Uh, um, a great yes, CV, yes. a CV of talent. And please, everybody, listen to, if you haven't already, download my Time Capsule podcast with Mike Fenton-Stevens. Thank you very much for joining me. And, yeah, I will look forward to your the Sir David Jason episode. By the time this episode's out, I would have liked to think I've listened to it. But whenever that may Love be. Have you got a release date or is that to be confirmed? I have, yeah. November the 16th. So if, the, if this is past that point, uh, I hope the lockdown was, was fun for you. And I hope it's gone. And we're all going to have a merry, merry Christmas. Hooray! Hooray. Can I just end by saying, are you having fun? <laughs> Groovy! <Groovy>. Lovely. <laughs> Cheers, Mike. Uh, take care. Yeah, lovely to talk to you. One foot in the grave. One foot in the grave.